We continue now our series in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 11 this morning, as we have been looking at the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. In Luke's account, not Matthew's, but Luke's. And I have explained uh, to the congregation when we began this section why I'm reading for these weeks as we deal with these petitions from the authorized version rather than the ESV. When we have concluded this, I will return to reading ESV. But um, if anyone has questions about that, feel free to ask and I will explain further. Let us now go before the throne of our great God and King in prayer. Our Father and our God, Thou hast called us to reverence Your name, to offer our worship in reverence and in awe. And that reverence does not stop when we open the Word and proclaim it and hear the Word. Indeed, if anything, it is deepened and enhanced, for this is the Word of the living and true God. It is Your inerrant Word. It is our guide in life, but it also is the word in which we find the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and our Savior. And so we ask that in your kindness and providence to us, you will give to us always that which is substantive and solid, and especially that our children will grow up, not with the flashy, that which passes away, but with that which is solid and substantive, that will help them in life, to have a solid foundation, the foundation of thy word, which is truth, underneath their feet. And as always, we ask for the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, for only the Holy Spirit can open hearts to receive the word. And we pray that those of us who are regenerate will grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that those who may be among us who do not know Jesus will come to know him as Lord and Savior. Yes, should it please you, even in this service of worship. And these things we pray reverently, joyfully, dependently, believingly, in the name of the only mediator between God and man, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Will you stand for the reading of God's word? Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth." Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Give us day by day our daily bread, or... Possibly it could be translated, for the day, our daily bread. But have we forgotten the need for this petition? 
Let me assure you that some around us have not, that we sit next to families with great needs. And in the day in which this was written, culture was largely agrarian. If one crop failed, it could mean economic collapse. But I want us to understand this morning that there is never a time, no matter what you have, what gifts God gives, no matter how much meat is upon the table, there is never a time in which God's people should say, I don't have a need for praying that prayer, give us day by day our daily bread. And so why should we pray this? What should we understand when we pray it? With what attitude should we come when we pray this petition about our daily bread. Well, let's begin by looking at the text. And the first thing that I would point out as we look at the text, the first thing is this petition's position in the Lord's Prayer. It is the first petition of a new section, subordinate to all that has preceded it. All that has preceded it. Every petition has related to God, His glory, His kingdom, His will. And now we turn to those things that we need in our own daily lives, and this petition is subordinate to all that we have thus far prayed. It is subordinate to the glory of God. It is subordinate to God's kingdom. It is subordinate to the will of God. It is subordinate to what it means that we have a heavenly Father who knows what we need. The Lord Jesus is really telling us in this prayer that God our Father is concerned to meet the material needs of his children. It is a very deeply spiritual thing to pray with dependence on God for our daily sustenance. It is a good and wonderful thing that we come to him and say, we need bread to enjoy this life. We need bread even to enjoy the forgiveness of sins that you've given us in our Savior. We need bread if we're going to fulfill the petition in our lives to do your will and to seek your glory and to extend your kingdom. For what then are we praying? We are praying for bread so that we may hallow God's name. We are praying for bread to seek God's coming kingdom. We are praying for bread so that we may have the strength to do his will and that the Lord will sustain life under the value of Jesus' blood, all according to what God determines will most bring glory to his own name. Now, are we learning to have a heart so inflamed with love for God that we prefer his glory above all things, that I am, but that I'm even willing to say, even my daily needs for which I ask, I am submitting to your glory and what will bring you most honor. That is the tendency of the heart that is born again to say, Lord, whatever honors you, whatever glorifies you, that is what I want. And so do you see why it's important where it is in the Lord's Prayer? But then secondly, it tells us two truths about God, two truths about God. First, it tells us that our Heavenly Father cares about your physical needs. As we read in Genesis this morning in the very first chapter, what God does is to create a world in which he makes the world habitable by man and he provides for the needs of man. Our needs are never out of God's reach. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our provider. So we learn that about God. But also we learn that he is the God of promise For God's people through the ages have prayed this prayer in one way or another, even the Old Testament saints. 
Psalm 33, 18 to 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Yet our petition is strictly subordinate to what goes before it, subordinate to the needs of God's kingdom and subordinate to God's decretive will. Take the Apostle Paul, for example. If you read about his ministry in 2 Corinthians 11, he will tell you that he ministered in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Did God answer his prayer for his daily needs? Yes, subordinate to his own will for Paul and his ministry. We read of the saints, the Old Testament saints in Hebrews 11, that they were destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Did God answer the prayer for their daily bread? Yes, subordinate to his own will and to his own glory. And so even in these times and stresses, these things are under the sovereignty of God as well. But then thirdly, will you simply notice with me that when we pray this prayer, we are, after all, asking that it is petition. We are praying that the Lord will give to us day by day the bread that we need in order to fulfill those things that he calls us to do. And what is petition? What is asking on the part of a Christian heart? Well, it's the language of dependence, isn't it? And it is the language of acknowledgement that God is fully capable of answering my requests. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Most of you are familiar with the name of uh, George Mueller, who in the 19th century in England uh, had a great orphanage, and he was a man of prayer. He is noted for his prayer life. On one occasion, we are told that there was a need for milk for the children. The children were going to bed. The next morning, they would have breakfast, and they had no milk. Where would they get the milk? They had no money to buy the milk. And so George Mueller got upon his knees and he said, Lord, these are your children. You see their need. And he prayed for milk. That morning, the milk wagon broke down in front of the orphanage. The milk had to be distributed and was distributed to the children. Chance? No, we don't live in a chance universe. God answered the prayer of George Mueller and he answers our prayers as well. But you know, as we ask of God and we petition God, I think the most important thing for us to remember is that we're entering into something really wonderful. We are entering into communion with our God. Now we come again to that question of God knows my need, why do I ask him? Well, we're asking for things that are, are, are agreeable to his will. That's always what prayer is. We want those things that God has decreed, which will surely come to pass, to come to pass, because we know that what e'er my God ordains is right. But what I want you to see most importantly is God enjoys it when you, his children, come to him. He enjoys when you, his children, bow the knee and come before him and say to him, Father, here is my need. You know my need even before I ask but I'm communing with you and fellowshipping with you. Do you know that God? Do you know that communion? Is that a part of your life? Does it determine your heart? That the creator of the stars above likes it when through his son you talk with him. That you are communing with him. And as you commune with him, I ask, will you pursue the sin of your soul ruthlessly, 
that you might enthrone Christ in the heart more fully and more gloriously. As Archbishop Bishop Layton put it, he who wishes to live after death must die before death comes. So we are asking him and we are communing with him and we are saying, may I die to self and live unto righteousness. May I die to myself, even if that means that you answer this prayer by taking from my table right now those things that I feel I need because you know my need better than I know my need and you know what will train up my heart in righteousness as a Christian. But also, fourthly, we are asking for our needs when we pray that God meet the need for our daily bread. Now, we pray for bread, don't we? That's how we pray. We pray it when we pray the Lord's Prayer here every Sunday. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread is synecdoche. It is a figure of speech in which the part is used for the whole. Martin Luther put it this way, everything necessary for preservation of life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. These are the things for which we pray when we ask God for our daily bread. Now, do you not find it wonderful that God is concerned with the details of your everyday life, that the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity condescends to be concerned with you and with me in the details of our lives? Well, he loved you so that he gave his son for you. He died for sinners like you and me. He shed his blood. It should be no surprise that he's concerned with our daily bread. But we're praying here for needs, not luxuries. It never says, get on your knees and say, Lord, I want this luxury or that. But we are to pray for our needs. You know this, Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. In this section of scripture, the Lord says, by divine inspiration, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. As one Puritan put it, one staff is a help, a bundle is a hindrance. So give to me what is good for me to have. We may ask for and enjoy to God's glory all of his good gifts as long as it is subordinate to his glory. We are asking for our needs, asking, yes, for work and for God's blessing upon our daily labor. You can pray about everyday things because God wants you to. But you may never say, I have done this. But the Lord has blessed me with work, you may say. The Lord gives life and strength and ability and breath, you must say. It is the Lord who establishes second causes. And so we labor in a good, honest calling and we ask God's blessing upon it. But for one to say at table, I did this. Children, I did this. I did this. The Lord didn't provide this, I did this, which every unbelieving father ultimately must say because he doesn't know Christ. For him to say that exposes that unbelieving soul to even greater wrath. What we must understand is the simple truth that it is all gift. 
Thomas Watson, the Puritan, who wrote a good deal upon this, says, He is not weary of giving. The springs of mercy are ever running. He not only dispensed blessing in former ages, but he gives gifts to us, as the sun not only enriches the world with its morning light, but keeps light for the meridian. The honeycomb of God's bounty is still dropping. And indeed, this is true. God gives gifts even to his enemies. Watson goes on to say, If all be gift, see the odious ingratitude of men who sin against their giver. God feeds them, and they fight against him. He gives them bread, and they give him affronts. How unworthy is this? They not only forget his mercies, but abuse them. Oh, how horrid it is to sin against a bountiful God. And isn't that true? There may be someone here this morning, you are out of Christ, you do not know the Lord, you have never trusted him as Savior. God has been a cornucopia of blessing to you. He has given you life and health and good things and even a bank account, healthy children, and you have not yet to acknowledge that he is the Savior and he is the Lord. And the things that are deepest and most serious in life the ultimate questions you have yet to face. Well, fifthly, asking for daily needs, we ask for those needs with an eye to the future. Yes, we are dependent on the Lord's provision day by day, but the text uses an unusual Greek word, epiousios. And that word is found in only two places, in Matthew's use of the Lord's Prayer, and in Luke's use here in the Lord's Prayer. And one lexicon defines it this way, an extremely rare word of of debated meaning among the probabilities are daily, necessary for existence, for the following day, for the future. Now it seems that every petition has an eschatological thrust, and the point here may indeed be twofold. First, give me day by day what I need to live to the glory of God right now in the present. But also, every day we hallow God's name, and every day we live with the future in view, and every day in which we are praying for the coming of the kingdom, we are asking for our bread. And so the future for the Christian suffuses the present. The future for the Christian gives, gives its present light and color and cast and determines our plans and our actions and our priorities. Now, you know this to be the case. Even in everyday things and the things of this world, you know that to be the case. There's an upcoming wedding. It's, it's impending. It's in the future. And so everything in your present is determined by that future. You have to make adjustments at work. You, uh, if you're the lady, you are looking for a dress. Uh, you're trying to establish the venue. Uh, you, are, you are asking the minister if he will marry you. All of those things in the future are now determining your presence. Or the baby is coming. Now, when the baby comes, everything changes. And when you know the baby is coming, then the future certainly begins to determine the present. Some people actually wake up to their moral duty when they know the baby is coming. Some people are actually converted when they know that the baby is coming. 
but the room must be gotten ready. The doctor's visits must be had. The baby has to be paid for, after all. And so in all of these ways, the future is determining the present. How much more then when we pray, give me, Lord, my daily bread with an eye to the consummation of your coming kingdom? How much more does the future establish our present when we think of the return of Christ and the day of judgment that is to come? And so when God the Father supplies your need as a Christian through his Son, we receive God's gift. Therefore, at every meal, the Lord Jesus is master of that table. Every morsel is dipped in Jesus' blood. Every time I sit with my family, it points me to the great feast that awaits us in the future when we will sup with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By faith, I already participate in the future. If I only eat a crumb now, I am glutted with blessing. My cup runneth over because my daily bread is a promise of my future fellowship with God. And this reminds us that we pray for temporal gifts, everyday things. We pray for temporal gifts for spiritual ends. As one of our forefathers put it, just as Hannah prayed for a child that she might devote him to God. So you and I now pray for everyday things that we might devote ourselves and those things to God and his use. Which leads me sixthly to perhaps the most important thing that we need to dwell upon, and that is, if you're a note taker, just call it attitudes. Attitudes. Attitudes of the heart. With what attitudes do we come as Christians when we pray this simple prayer about our daily bread? Well, let me give you a few. We come to the Lord when we pray that he would provide for our bread day by day with trust and dependence. Rich and poor believers receive daily from the hands of a sovereign heavenly father who governs health and brings food to our tables, relying upon God in this petition we come with trust and dependence. I hope you don't mind a personal illustration of this. My wife Vicki and I are moving on toward our 43rd year of marriage. In our first year of marriage, in the very first weeks of our marriage, my wife was ill and we went to see the physician. And the physician told my wife, you need surgery, and if you do not have surgery, you will die. Now, that's something for a newly married couple to hear. And so she had the surgery. The Lord bless. She's here to tell the story. Thank the Lord. But during that time, we accumulated these huge medical bills. I was working, uh, I was going to school working a subsistence wage. One day I came out from my work and someone had dropped an envelope in the window onto the seat, opened it, and there was money to pay one of our medical bills. Don't know who it was. Don't know how they even knew we had a medical bill to pay. We weren't broadcasting it. We saved, Vicki and I did. My wife's a great saver, by the way. 
and we saved to pay one of the medical bills that came. We had the money. We went to, um, to the hospital. We were going to pay it right then and there. And when we went there, the attendant looked at our bill and said, just a minute, walked away and came back and said, you don't owe this bill. We said, what do you mean we don't owe this bill? She had the surgery. This is part of it. We owe the bill. Here's the money. No, no, you don't owe the bill. Never would tell us why we don't owe the bill. Obviously, the Lord in some way had provided. The Lord was teaching us in these early days of our marriage something about trust, something about dependence, something about reliance upon the Lord in the simple prayer, give us day by day the bread that we need. But also, when we come before the Lord asking this, we come with an attitude, or should, of gratitude. As Thomas Boston put it, we cannot plead the merit of a crumb, but grounding our plea on mercy through Christ, we may ask all we need. Or as Watson again put it, to be thankful for one mercy is the way to have more. Musicians love to sound their trumpets where there is the best echo. And God loves to bestow his mercies where there is the best echo of praise. Huh? You know, proud men are never thankful. But the believer in Christ comes with gratitude. Another attitude? Generosity. Give us implies gift. Give us implies there are others around who also have needs. And if we have been given gifts, then let us give freely you have received, freely give. But then there's another attitude, perhaps the one that's most difficult for most people, and it's the attitude of contentment, being content with what you have. It is not for us to tell the ruler of the universe how he should distribute his gifts. One of the Puritans says, many have sunk to hell with golden weights, the ferryman takes in all passengers that he may increase his fare, but sometimes to the sinking of his boat. So some people are laden with God's gifts, but they still do not know him. But the person who has little can be as covetous as the person who has much. So the Christian will pray, Lord, give me what I need, but thy will be done. If prosperity, if poverty... Give me what I need. Trust God day by day, not by worrying. Do plan for tomorrow, but do not worry about tomorrow. Again, one of the Puritans, a piece of bread with God's love is angel's food. He knows what quantity we need. He will do for us what is for our best. And Paul says by divine inspiration in 1 Timothy 6, 8, if we have food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But there's something else for which we pray, another attitude of the heart that really should grip us as we pray this prayer for our daily bread. It is coming before a sovereign God who himself is eternal and understanding and recognizing how transient this life is and how transient are all things. Our times, our breath, our strength, our health, our food, these things are in God's hands. 
Although the wicked prosper seem, at last they vanish like a dream and perish in a day. Jehovah's foes shall soon appear like fields once fair, now brown and sear, like smoke they fade away. And so I ask you, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? What does it profit if your table is laden with food and your account is full of money and you have all of the good things that this world can bring and yet you've not faced eternity and you do not understand that you need a redeemer and you were lost and you were undone and you lose your own soul? The Lord teaches us to pray for our needs so that, listen, the Lord teaches us to pray for our daily needs so that we may live every day as if that day might be our last. And so we pray with an eye to the future, but for today's bread, because we don't know if we will be here tomorrow. And oh, how fruitful is such thinking, and how in our day it is assiduously avoided. So we sink ourselves into all of these things that take our time, our energy, our thoughts away from eternity that should determine our present. And we fill them with things that are transient and that are passing away. You know, I just finished reading... Men of the Covenant by Alexander Smiley, a 500-page-plus book, one of those books that, um, that I take home, and at night when I can't sleep, I get up, that's the book I read until I'm done, then I bring another one home. Men of the Covenant, that 28-year period in Scottish Presbyterian history that ended in 1688 at the Glorious Revolution, in which Presbyterians in Scotland were so severely persecuted. If a man preached the gospel and he was caught, he could be drawn and quartered. A woman comes to the door. Her Presbyterian husband comes. The dragoons shoot him dead right in front of her. Men, women, children. Murdered. Because of our reformed faith. You know, one of the themes that comes through in that great old volume, how these old saints depended upon God, let me tell you, for their daily sustenance. Their homes were torn down around them. Their sheep were stolen. Their crops were stolen by the government. They were fined money that they couldn't pay. And yet it is one of the most glorious pages in all of church history to see how these men, women, and children who believed in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Jesus Christ alone, were provided their daily needs, even if that daily need was the strength to go and be beheaded for the cause of God and truth. There is never a time when God does not answer the prayers of his people. In that way which is most for his glory, 
and most for the extension of his kingdom, and most for your personal good. Whether you can now see it or not. So let me conclude this way. We pray for physical needs, but we realize that something more is involved in life than the physical. I need the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus' shed blood. The worldly man wants the world. But again, the Puritans, you have a back clothed, but a soul naked. Is there someone here? You have a back clothed, but your soul is naked. You see, we don't deserve a morsel of bread. We do not deserve the food on our table, much less eternal life. And so there's something here for us to hear, because there's someone here who needs to give up his vain attempt, his prideful attempt at self-salvation. The true believer's attitude when he prays is, Lord, You are my heavenly Father. You've proven your love to me in the cross. I can never doubt it. Come what may. Give me day by day my daily bread. And Lord, I'm praying that with the same heart attitude with which I pray. Lord, I depend upon you for my salvation. All of it. I contribute nothing. I pray Give me day by day the bread that I need to fulfill your purpose in my life. I pray that with the same heart attitude with which I prayed long ago. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God's people said, Amen.